0: Today's episode brought to you by BossPods.com. Want a podcast like a boss? We've got the inside word on how to set up a podcast that's actually worth something. We've got the industry's best to show you how. BossPods.com.
1: Podcast like a boss. So you have a paranoia about Chris dying?
0: <laughs> I do. I'm like, I feel like I'm Chris's other wife. I'm like, I'm, I actually genuinely have a morbid fear of your death occurring very soon.
1: I've had a good life. (laughs) (laughs) Is that because you don't know how you would function without him?
0: Maybe there's a bit of that. I think majority of it is because I know how ridiculous he works. So it's, I feel like it's just inevitable. I feel like nobody can work that hard without dying young. Goodie. (laughs) (laughs) Just started off on a really cheery (laughs) note. (laughs)
1: So don't don't die, Chris. Please I'll don't. Try not to. Even even if you do have strange back <laughs> issues in your young age. Yeah. I just, I
0: don't know how to do the accounts either. So that's a it's another stress.
1: Hello to all of you out there in the coming up next work. And welcome to the one-year anniversary of Coming Up Next with Alastair Marks. That's me. I'm Alistair Marks, and this is my show, Coming Up Next, a show where I speak to people who are following a life of their own design. And to celebrate the end of the first year and the start of the second year, I wanted to go back to a couple of guys who really helped me to follow my dreams and who continue to inspire me on a regular basis. I'm speaking, of course of my friends at Late Night Films, Nick Collar and Chris Hocking. You may have heard me speaking with Michael Shanks earlier in the year, and at the beginning we spoke about this amazing production company, this collective of people called Late Night Films, who are really doing some amazing work, and what a privilege and treat it is for me to sit down with those guys, chat about how they started their careers, and talk about what's coming up next for them. If you're interested in checking out any of their work, you can find them at latenightfilms.com, which is L-A-T-E-N-I-T-E films.com, on Twitter at latenightfilms, and on facebook.com slash latenightfilms. And while you're at Facebook, you might as well jump on the coming up next website, which is facebook.com slash cunpodcast, hit like, jump on iTunes, give the show a rating and a review. It really does help in the evolution of the show and will allow me to bring you another 12 months of awesome and inspiring guests and interviews. So with that, good people, a happy anniversary to you, a happy Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Monday, depending on what day of the week you're listening to this. And here's to another 12 months of Absolute Rambles. So this is, uh, this, is this is quite a treat. I, um, I sat down with uh, Michael Shanks, much, much earlier in the year um, from late-night films. And a lot of what we talked about in the beginning was about what late-night films means to, uh, I suppose, our generation of filmmakers in Australia and what it's meant in particular for me in my life and my career. And so it's pretty freaking rad to sit down with the two founding members of late-night films today, Chris Hocking And Nick Collar
0: Hey Thanks for having us man It's
1: my pleasure um, That's the voice of Nick Chris decided to wave uh, on, this, on this visual <laughs> he, he hasn't medium. quite
0: worked out it's, uh, it's an oral medium
1: not yeah. a- <laughs> I'm a filmmaker I like video stuff Yeah but But we need The listeners need To be able to identify Who's who This is the voice of Chris There you go And this is the voice of Nick And this is what it sounds like When Chris waves <laughs> So any of those kind of gaps that you hear, it's because Chris is waving. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's chosen the silent treatment.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, we're we're actually in your office in uh, in Collingwood, in Melbourne, uh, and this office is quite emblematic of uh, where you guys are at and where things have kind of gone for as long as I've known you. At least, I mean, Nick, you and I met. At uh, 16th Street Actors Studios, sh- seven years ago now. God, was
0: it that long ago? Yeah.
1: Um, Dear Lord. Uh, but we all actually went to Swinburne together, but separately in yeah. different years. Uh, and, and when we did meet at 16th Street um, and we were talking about working together, uh, the office was wherever we set up our laptops. And that, yeah. that then kind of evolved into a kitchen at, uh, at the studio at 16th Street Actor's Studio. And now you've got quite a lush space in, uh, in Collingwood.
0: I wouldn't say lush. I, I mean, it's a nice, I do like that people get excited when they come into the office because it's, uh, it's kind of a geek den really. There's loads of puppets and sort of props from previous mm. things that we've done and, um, about 4 billion Empire magazines and a huge TV <laughs> that Chris thought was imperative to having an office. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's certainly a far cry from the uh, the kitchen with the tiny little mini bar fridge that we had right at the beginning. Chris actually got really freaked out. The So we're at the front of a, a drama school on 16th Street mm. and um, Chris used to... Get really concerned of all the noises that were coming out of the room next door from all the
1: acting classes that yeah, were going actors on. Actors are crazy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, howling and grunting and
1: screaming and yeah. Yeah, they're just expressing themselves.
0: Mm. It's pretty much, this is pretty much what being an actor is. It's just that you've just summed up how to be an actor right. in three or four words grunting, <laughs> screaming. What, what else did you say? <laughs> I can't even remember.
1: I mean, this podcast is now pretty much complete. We're done. Yeah. we're done. We've we've taught people how to act. I actually feel like I can finish coming up next now.
2: <laughs> Yay! that's how to live
1: a creative life.
0: <laughs> but yeah, it's certainly been nice to when um, I think when we first started and we were in that tiny little office. So it's the kind of place where you could, we couldn't even have a meeting there. Like we basically, if we went to meet somebody, we we would be like, "Oh, meet us at this coffee at this cafe around the corner from our office." Mm-hmm. Because we just, three people couldn't fit into the tiny little L-shaped kitchen that we we're in, really. So when um, when we moved out, we looked at a few shared spaces and then couldn't really afford a big fancy office. But we thought, oh, well, why don't, why don't we just do it? It might be nice to have a space to ourselves. And, and luckily, we've been able to keep it for three years without going bankrupt, which is yep. a plus.
2: No bankrupt, no jail been a good
1: three years wow it's i mean it's it's so impressive uh and uh, I, I sincerely believe what i said in the um the interview i did with shanks uh that you guys really are kind of this conduit this kind of center point i believe of um certainly in melbourne of, of our generation of uh of filmmakers and I think, um, I think Nick, you and I discussed not long ago this idea that um, we, we're kind of, in a way, in the mould of the Ausploitation era where there is this real camaraderie amongst all of the uh, filmmakers and it's everyone doing different things on different sets um, and everyone working together for this kind of greater purpose of creating a great uh, industry.
0: Well, I think... I think the thing that always stemmed from uh, what we wanted to do was this idea of making stuff that we wanted to see. And especially, I guess, during that time when we were at uni, there wasn't a whole lot that was coming out of Australia that, I don't know, was really interesting. Mm. And it's kind of, I think Shanks mentioned this, basically that idea of being proud of your heritage and being proud of, you know, being Australian and, and wanting to make stuff here but also ma- wanting to make stuff that you would want to go and watch so mm. not limiting yourself to going well we don't actually have a lot of money in this country so we probably can't do those big fun genre films that we like or um you know i i remember very early on when when we were working on stuff and we would go to sort of after parties and for the film festival and get introduced to people and stuff. And people were very negative about mm. saying, you know, that you wanted to do this big, you know, one of Chris's babies has been this idea that we've been developing for ages, which is a concept about aliens mm. and people going, oh, you can't do it. It's sorry. <laughs> you just can't do that. <laughs> and just having this sense of going like, why not? Yeah, Why not? That's what I want to make. Like that's sort of the fun stuff that we want to make. I don't want to make a, a, you know, really dreary drama that's devoid of hope i want to make something that as sam worthington once said i'd pay 20 bucks to go and see at the cinema
2: Mm. yeah absolutely we just want to make cool shit that we want to watch Mm. like it's as simple as that i don't want to make bleak australian dramas i want to make stuff that i watch on a regular basis and watch on netflix or watch in the cinemas Mm. Uh,
1: and and i think you guys certainly achieved that with um with wizards of oz and and i mean everything that i've watch that's you know the most commercially successful um thing that you've made to date but it's probably the
0: only one that we had any money for as well mm. even though we didn't have a lot of money <laughs> it was the only one we've actually had any sort of dollars for ever
1: well you chris you and uh you and and michael um did what 38 weeks of post for nothing
2: yeah basically yeah 37 weeks locked away in michael's mum's basement just rotoscoping and making goblins and dragons and stuff but Sounds like the makings of a sitcom. (laughs) It would be a very
1: boring sitcom. (laughs) Uh, Five episodes of keyframe editing. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) right. Um, And I think, sort of going back to that point about everything being a collaborative effort. You know, it it feels like sort of coming out of the '90s, and perhaps it is a byproduct of the the kind of jaded nature that you alluded to, Nick, of, of the industry in pockets here is that there's the people are very possessive of their little corner of the industry like they need to hold on to it for dear life and the it it feels like there's not a great sense of that community um, or there is but as long as you're not encroaching on someone else's property whereas it feels like we're kind of coming to a point where it's everyone's in it together and where we are all working to try and uplift um the the creative process i think a good idea that helps kind of explain
0: how we like to think and how we like to work is the fact that when we're in uni in our third year of uni um, there are about 42 grad films i think and chris worked on 41 of them
2: yeah, that one team didn't want to have me there. But. <laughs> probably because they now wanted to be the laughing. only one devoid of Hocking. They were
0: like, no, you worked on the rest of them. We don't have to put your name in the credits. Although <laughs> there was probably a special thanks at some point because they probably asked him a question. But I think that's at the heart of um, what we've always believed in that uh, it's it's really hard. Like, it's really, really hard to, to do what we, we do, all of us, like mm. anybody in a creative field. So I don't understand why people aren't willing to help each other more and so and you know especially as you look at a lot of the directors still working and a lot of the the producers and the people at the top that are still working they're they're getting well on in their years and there are very very few opportunities for younger people to break through so you wonder that when there's going to be that breaking point when people go oh shit everybody that has just died uh we haven't trained anybody up to replace them quick quick you know Mm -hmm. hustle people in and especially when there's this generation where it's so much easier to make content now you know anybody can get a hand on cameras and stuff like that that's how shanks started he didn't go to film school he didn't you know he's all completely self-taught um and so we really we really like to help people where we can i mean and not that's not in a thing of saying you know people come to us for help all the time but it's it's just more about if somebody's shooting a low budget music video and go and you know gives us a buzz and say hey do you have any lights yeah sure take some lights and or whatever something as simple as that or Mm. advice or you know chris gets calls around the clock from people with asking for tech advice Uh, people constantly contact me about um uh, actors or other producers Uh, we've had a couple of web series where people have come to us and said hey will you produce this with us and we've been too busy so we've put them on to other people which have formed a new relationship there Mm. Um, I I think that's really important because I think that closed-mindedness really really fucks things up like it really halts people and halts us as an industry it doesn't help anybody grow you know nobody wants to make shit work everybody wants to make work and make great work so why not encourage that rather than have a really uh negative approach to it i guess
1: Mm. Mm. you both uh to, to backtrack a little bit you both have been working in uh in the entertainment space for quite a while uh nick you were a child actor and Chris you started off doing um child genius is the uh... sorry child guru and and Chris you grew up or
2: you started doing uh, puppetry
1: for the BBC
2: uh, yeah so I sort of have a weird background where my dad used to work in like concert logistics like trucking for big concerts and live shows like that so I sort of grew up pushing road cases around and hanging out with at big events, helping lighting people and stuff like that. Mm. And then through like just hanging out and basically being a roadie when I was still in primary school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a ridiculous
1: sentence.
0: I was just being a roadie when I was in primary school. It's like any, like, yeah, just I was doing just... snorting coke off mirrors when I was 12. bunch
2: <laughs> <Punching> and um, dozens. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, through just being in that world and knowing people, I got a call one day to come and sort of just help out on a a BBC kid show that was happening up in Sydney. So I flew up to Sydney and was sort of just sort of like a minder. So it's a BBC kid show called the tweenies. And they had a bunch of like characters with people in costumes with animatronics heads. And literally my job was just to make sure that the, like when you're in the costume, they're very heavy and very hard to maneuver. I was just making sure that the people in the costumes didn't fall off the stage. And I was sort of just looking after them. Um, but the technician that they flew from the UK to sort of maintain and make sure all the animatronics sort of worked, there was only one person. And when they're in, like in the UK, they normally have three people to make service it and repair it all. So I sort of by default became his sort of assistant and yeah, just kept doing that. And over the course of years, I sort of did, I think I did two Australian tours with them and then maybe three UK tours over in the UK. We travelled around, did like a live show. And then I also sort of helped out on the TV show as well, just repairing animatronic bits and pieces.
1: Mm, wow, it's quite a quite a lot of responsibility to, to thrust onto a fourteen-year-old.
2: Yeah, it was. I think I kind of remember. I think I sort of started doing that when I was maybe fifteen. I think the first time, and oh, yeah, that it was, makes it okay. <laughs> but yeah, it was yeah. crazy going from it because, like, the first time, like, I literally just—I think I got the phone call that day before i went up to sydney so i was just like got a call from dad going hey someone needs help with something do you mind giving them a call and seeing if you want to do it and then i did and then the next moment i'm jumping on a plane to sydney and thrown in with a whole bunch of uk people doing a crazy live show and then yeah just sort of went with it and then they called me up and said hey do you want to come over to the uk and do the christmas stuff as well so jump on the plane go did the uk stuff so yeah lots of cool opportunities and you just sort of yeah take them while they're there
1: Mm, what I mean, your work ethic, as we kind of discussed earlier, in in jest, but really, your work ethic is kind of second to none, um, and your knowledge of all things kind of tech is just mind blowing. Um, you know, you you're kind of this resource not only for people of our generation, but it seems as though everyone in the industry uh, at least in in melbourne i don't know about the rest of the country but uh, knows to come to you when they have a question about something relating to tech do you feel as though this kind of experience that you had and being given this responsibility as a an adolescent really kind of helped you to build that work ethic and and create that curiosity to have all of this information
2: yeah absolutely i mean like growing up doing all that live stuff and then like after so basically I did all that Twenty stuff while I was still sort of in high school and then after high school I went into concert lighting. So the guy that I met the first time I went up to Sydney to do this tweenies show in Sydney, he was like the A V guy. He had all the speakers and everything like that. Um so after high school I had like a decision of what the hell was I gonna do, like Mm. i had no idea what i sort of wanted to just do rock concerts like light rock concerts that was sort of my childhood dream of doing that um so i had lots of cool opportunities the company i did work experience with was a massive big lighting company and they also did the lighting for this Tweeny show so they were like well do you want to come work for us and whole a whole lot of things um but in the end i the guy that i ended up working for called frank he um he flew me up to Sydney he was like just come up and chat and we'll work out like we'll have a chat about it and I went up and it was the day that he was doing his company Christmas party and they'd hired or they made like a swimming pool and we're starting to fill it with jelly and we're going to have jelly wrestling and that was like the moment I decided right this is the company I want to work for <laughs> and it was basically working for him like we did some crazy jobs like I did I did the lighting for the Moscow Circus in Taiwan and South Africa um, I'd used to do like Google launches in New Zealand for things. And so through that, it was just, we had crazy jobs where there was lots of sleepless nights, but we had like an amazing team and it just like taught me just to, I don't know, how to survive with very little sleep, how to problem solve, how to deal with people. Um, and yeah, just work your ass off to achieve a, a common goal basically.
1: Mm. And was creating your own production company? Was that something that you always kind of dreamed of doing? That was basically Nick's idea. I, <laughs> I believe
0: I'm straight. I'm worried that you didn't say it's my fault. Normally, you say it's my fault, not my
2: idea. <laughs> I've always like I've always been interested in running companies. Like as a kid, like I was the kid that had like. I- I don't know. When I was in primary school, I wanted a desk with a phone on it and like a schedule. Like I just wanted to say that schedule. I had. He was
0: trading stocks while he was in grade four. Right.
2: I wanted to. Yeah, he I like the idea. Works, desk <laughs> calendars. Like I loved going into dad's work, and like I wouldn't actually do anything there, but I loved like saying that you like going into work and sort of running a company and having things like that. I loved like the business stuff in theory. But in practice, like having done all this concert stuff and traveled around the world doing a whole lot of things, like the idea of running a business is just a lot of hard work, like really, really, really fucking hard work. And the thing I loved about filmmaking was just making films. Like all I've ever wanted to do is just make movies Mm. and then running a business. That's a whole other world of pain. So, yeah, when me and Nick first talked about it, like I was sort of against it just because it becomes more serious. It becomes something it's not no longer just a hobby where you just sort of go out and make cool shit it becomes something that you have responsibilities and you have to worry about insurance and stuff like that Make sure that people don't die making sure that people don't die and you've got employees to look after and stuff like that Um, so yeah it was never really the game plan to set up a company but it's Mm. a byproduct of doing what you want to do like you have to do it and I guess the other thing is that both all of us are such control freaks that the idea of jumping on board someone else's company, you sort of lose that control and that's even more scary than running your own company. So, yeah, we sort of fell into it and so far it's been bashing along okay.
1: Yeah, it seems like, I I suppose, both of your paths to kind of getting to um, late-night films have been the kind of perfect uh, training ground for you, I suppose, for what you've inevitably ended up doing in your partnership together nick as we've kind of touched on before you grew up basically on set as an actor
0: yeah i am i started acting when i was about i think i started doing drama classes when i was about six and it was always just a you know something that your parents put you into because oh he he likes playing with dolls he must play drama (laughs) um and then uh and then it, uh, my drama teacher at the time, a, a wonderful woman by the name of Diana Greentree, is uh, an actress herself and she had a, an agent and was would occasionally put kids up for jobs mm. in the agency through her agent. And this big ad came up that was shooting in the US and so she put me out for it and I got it. And um, it just kind of kept going from there. But my, my folks were really funny. They always treated it like a like a hobby, like it was always like, oh, they they weren't stage parents. They've got none of my family have anything to do with the arts whatsoever. And so it just kind of kept happening. I, I got kept getting put up for jobs and, and I kept getting jobs and kept working and and I got to the end of I worked right up until the end of high school and my first year of uni. And I did two shows back to back. A show called Holly's Heroes in year twelve and a show called Wicked Science in first year uni. And um and then after that, I was kind of a bit lost. I, because I'd worked kind of right towards the end there, I, um, I spoke to a couple of guys that were on a show that I was doing. One was, uh, had been a NIDA grad and one was a VCA grad. And I said to them, do you think I should try out for a drama school? And the both of them said, no. And I was really surprised by that. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, i have no backup plan what what else do i do <laughs> and then i'd always been really when i'd been on set i'd been really really fascinated by the whole filmmaking process so quite often on hollies i'd i'd sort of hang out with the directors and chat to the directors and um i i took a hell of a lot in working on sets all the way through my childhood and then so i went well maybe i want to do maybe i want to go to film school maybe that's something that i want to do um which is which is weird because whenever you hear like people talk about getting into filmmaking, they always talk about, you know, shooting little eight millimeter films <laughs> when they were in, you know, five years old and um but I, I, I didn't. I grew up on sets as an actor and then just kinda went, actually yeah, this is something that I really have a genuine love for. Like I, I genuinely love cinema. Not so much T V at the time. That's obviously changed. But um so what that what was really nice about that was that I, you know, from the first day of film school, I knew how a set worked. Like I knew, uh, and, it's, and it's a really interesting thing watching as an actor because basically you kind of sit back and watch how it all works. Mm. And what's interesting about that is you see what's maybe not working, what maybe is working, what directors, crew and cast really like, um, why that is. You see how the whole process works really. And so it gave me a really, really good inkling into into how how film works, how it mm. works to, you know, make something successfully. And so the kind of nice thing about that is that when I conned Chris into being in my group in second year of uni, which is legitimately what happened, we had to choose groups. And I knew that I'd seen that Hawking was like, I also liked him, <laughs> but I was like, this guy's a genius. So I sat next to him and was like, group? Would you like to be in my group? And I knew it was too nice to say no. And now he's stuck with me. Um, <laughs> 10 years later. Yeah. But what's, what's nice about how we work together is that we, have, we are absolutely polar opposites. I love this man dearly, but he could not be more opposite to me than possible. Frustrates me to no end. And I know I frustrate him to no end. But what's nice about it is that we complement each other because we both look at how we do things in completely different ways. And we'll quite often argue about whether we do something or or, or not do something um, or how we set up or how we run a shoot when it comes to budgeting, you know, quite often um, if I do a first pass of the budget, Hawking will be like, well, you haven't really put any money into post or any of this stuff. And then when he does a pass of the budget, I'll be like, um, where did all the production design and cast and everything go? <laughs> so it's kind of like a nice midpoint where we both we both have different skill sets and different histories that, sort of work well together because they both come from the creative and the, and the also the kind of getting stuff done at the same time. Mm. Um, but with that in mind, what Chris also has a, as an editor, because Chris is an editor as well, also has an incredible creative sense as well. Um, so yeah, it's a really sort of nice mix of skills that we have together, which I help think helps make things work without exploding too often.
2: All mm. the explosions are completely deliberate. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: mostly done in post. <laughs> <Mostly> done <laughs> yes, in post. they are. Um, do you remember what the first project that you guys did together was?
0: Yep. It was, a, it was a, that second year uni film. It's called Happy Sundays. Had far too much swearing for a Swinburne University film. And it was terrible.
2: Although you really like it. No, I really like it. Yeah. It has a lot of heart. Mm. Is it online somewhere? Uh, we, uh, yeah if you google happy sundays sunday spelt like a like sunday.
0: a sunday as in not like the day like an ice cream i was going
2: to say if you just say the word sunday <laughs>
1: again <laughs> it doesn't necessarily help uh, yeah you guys know um that i like talking about uh on on this show um that kind of first moment in a person's life where they may have performed or written a script or done something that's kind of fed their uh, creative energy, I suppose. Do you guys remember um, the first time, Nick, maybe do you remember the first time that you did perform for people?
0: I I had a couple of mixed feelings about this because there were two... Moments. I remember when I did that first ad. So the ad that I did when I was a kid was crazy. It was shot in LA. It was like this big budget commercial. And I was, I remember thinking, this is really cool. And like, but stupid stuff, like stuff that you would not so much go, oh, well, this is my calling, but more go, this is really sweet. Like mm. I got picked up in a limo, I got driven <laughs> out to like all these lights and stuff. This is, you know, I lived in, I grew up in the Western suburbs, like, I that just wasn't a thing that I knew, Um, and so but I I feel like performing wise, um, I did a I did a play a few years later for the Bell Shakespeare Company called The Winter's Tale, it's a Shakespeare play, and that was another one of my first jobs, and it had a really really incredible cast, Um, Heather Mitchell who I know you've spoken to, Mm. Um, John Bell was in it, they played um, my parents in the show, Um, but there was this really really incredible. And I went up to the Sydney Opera House and rehearsed there and then we we did it down here at the Athenaeum. And um, it was really... What I remember loving about that was... It was really thrilling for starters, stepping out on stage in front of... I don't know how many the Athenaeum hold, but I imagine it's a 1,000-ish or thereabouts, 800 to a 1,000 people. Mm. And it was exhilarating. There was something really exhilarating about it. But on the same note... What I enjoyed more than anything, and I think this is something that sort of developed my love of the people that work in this industry, is the people. Um, All of the actors were their own little special kind of crazy, but in the best possible way. They were all beautiful, beautiful people that sort of were really, not only really friendly, but also really, really aware of everything that was going on around them, if that makes sense. Mm. And then, so yeah, that that was my first, like... I think I want to do something creative moment. I reckon I probably would have been about 11 or 12 when I did that. Um, and then it's just kind of developed from there, I guess. I think I, I'm i an avid cinema goer, so I go to the movies maybe once a week, mm. twice a week. Um, and I think the more that I've gone... It was actually, do you know what? It was that first year that you and I went to MIF together for... When Chris and I went to the Melbourne International Film Festival, you ha- we had to do it. I think you would have had to do it as well. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Get the passport for yeah. 200 bucks or whatever And it go was and see and as many films as you can. Mm.
0: Well, I think that first year, Chris and I saw... 52. 52. There you go. Wow. And mine was... I think yours was 52 mine was fairly similar. And it was so much fun. Mm. Um, because again, it's like... It was the first time that I'd been to the film festival. I Had, was, had you been before?
1: No.
2: First time.
0: Um, and it was... There were, you know, films from all over the world. There were documentaries. There were, uh, and, and this is, again, 10 years ago mm. when there was no, like, Netflix. There was no, you know, you didn't really seek out docos. Cinemas didn't play docos or foreign films really. Um, and there was this, just this whole universal world of, of storytelling that, mm. I, that I'd never seen before. And it just blew my mind. And so, ever since then, I've just been kind of crazy about about movies and about television. I just think they're an incredibly powerful thing that we don't give enough
1: time to in this country or money. Mm. It's funny to think how primitive things were, in a sense, just 10 years ago in, 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 in an entertainment kind of space.
2: Yeah. In Australia, anyway.
0: Mm. What about you, Hocking?
2: Um, I guess I sort of grew up. As a kid making... I was one of those kids that made Star Wars films in the backyard. Mm. So, yeah, when we were little, me and my brother and sister, when we were at our grandparents, we just used to make crappy Star Wars films in the backyard. I'm sure they weren't crappy. No, they were really crappy. Right. And that's what was so cool about it. Like, we knew they were really rubbish, but we just kept on making them because they were fun to do. Um, But it was more about making them rather than... I don't know if we ever really... Like, we recorded them, obviously, and edited them together and stuff, but mm. we never really watched them multiple times. So I was like, that's done, let's move on to the next one. <laughs> it was never, it was all about the process, not about the actual end product. Mm. Like, we knew going in, ah, that's rubbish. This cost you is crap. We need to redo this, but let's do that next time. Let's just finish this one and move on to the next project.
1: Mm. That kind of imperfect progress certainly seems to have, you know, certainly seems to be a uh, a stalwart, I guess, if you in your repertoire of. Or your approach to um, creativity, and I don't mean that uh, as in the stuff that you make it shit. I mean that you understand that you're never going to get something perfect, and you embrace that, and you go, "Well, we'll just do, we'll, we'll do it. We'll, we'll learn from the mistakes of this one, and to make it
2: better next time." Yeah, absolutely, and that's why I love doing the forty-eight hour film project because you just at the end of the week and you have a film, mm. and you learn so much doing that. And if you
1: guys are late-night films, you generally have a few awards as well. Maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you can't... I think it's true for anything. You can't learn and get better at something if you don't make mistakes. You look at any filmmaker or any, you know, writer or artist, or it's not like they woke up one day and were like, oh, shit, I'm Spielberg. This is going to be pretty sweet. Like, they they made bad movies. Like, people mm. made bad poxy movies at the start. But that's how you learn. That's how you learn to do stuff. You You make mistakes. And I think far too often... Uh, people aren't willing to make mistakes because i get it it's scary like Mm. making mistakes is scary but people just don't want to do it and then but how do you learn and get better you kind of don't you just sort of sit at the same level
1: Mm. almost i suppose one advantage of being in australia and things being kind of primitive as we were speaking about before is that you get an opportunity to make more mistakes without them necessarily being publicly exposed in the same way that you might if you were making films in um, America or Europe or somewhere where there's a a much stronger culture.
0: It's interesting. Uh, The the American market seems to be very, um, very closed, I guess. And what I mean by that is that because the industry is so huge, it's very rare that... Anything from another country breaks through mm. So it's, you know, very rare that they've heard of anyone I heard an interview with the, the catering girls recently Who've kind of started to do quite well over there And um, the guys that were interviewing them were saying You know, we, we hear a very few Australians over here Until they are in Hollywood films And then they go, oh wow, that person Oh, they're Australian? Oh wow mm. But I think... There's been what, Please Like Me, Summer Heights High. Dance Academy, I think the kids series over there is quite big, but there's very few because they have so much content, so why would they mm. you know, pay any lip service unless it really, really goes massive here? And then they've got, you know, some of the times they've tried to remake Australian stuff and it's just bombed.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, the Kath and Kim in America didn't do too well just wasn't
0: it's a like it's so uniquely australian this yeah mm. i th- i always thought that would be a hard convert but then again wilfred the american wilfred series is great
1: yeah that's true that wasn't um as uniquely australian yeah. as uh, as kath and kim the idiosyncrasies were probably more universal yeah um how important is it for you guys on that note to tell stories that are kind of culturally relevant uh or I suppose from your own kind of experiences or do you try and tell, uh, do you try and write scripts that are films that you think people, like do you write for an audience or do you write uh, from your own experience?
0: Well, I think we look at projects that we would want to watch. Like I think that's a really key thing. Uh, You know, I, I feel like, if there's something that you like then there's probably going to be an audience for it like i would say it would be very rare that somebody says i think this is quite cool and then not a single person in the entire world thinks the same <laughs> thing so you've kind of got to make stuff that you like because if you watch it then you know hopefully there's a whole raft of other people out there that will also watch it that's a that's a big thing for um you know shanks shanks has got a huge audience of people that like watching the same stuff that he watches mm. uh and i guess with wizards, it was about making something that has a distinctly Australian flavour, but is still based around a, a lot of the content that I guess. Because for wizards, there's not really been a show like wizards, I guess, that's come out of Australia. I, mm. I don't think I'd be too. Thingo in no, saying no, I that. agree with that. Um, so, but there there are definitely shows similar that have come out. You know, America, UK. And so it's. I think it's making something that's internationally viable but that still has an Australian flavor to it. Mm. Uh, I think making stuff so Australian that it's alienating is a big mistake because then you're limiting your market as, as
1: well. What you're saying, I suppose, is it's about balancing creative integrity with, um, I guess, a savvy business sense in a way. And what I mean by that is knowing that you want to be as broadly appealing as possible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And look, there's a there's a lot of stuff now that's doing quite well that is taking that approach, I, f- I fear. Like mm. um I think Matchbox are very good at it. Um Glitch was a really fantastic series. Mm. Uh so is The Code. Um and uh Cleverman, which has come out recently, which Sundance just commissioned a second series of. Um there's some really interesting stuff coming from a bunch of different production companies. Um, so it's starting to happen, but I just think we took a while to catch on to the fact that, you know, this is what sells for some reason. I have no idea why, but it just felt like there was a bit of a lull in the nineties. And then they've just at the beginning of sort of this century started to go, oh, right. Oh, right. No, we can do high concept stuff. That's really enjoyable and entertaining for an audience and not just for our industry. Yeah. Great. Mm -hmm. Cool. That's cool. People are watching it overseas.
1: And I think, um, to your point, Wizards, you know, it certainly has flavours of, um, you know, Edgar Wright, and it's got a lot of that kind of genre-bending, those genre-bending elements of the filmmakers that we've kind of uh, grown into loving probably in our late teens and early 20s. But, as you say, it is a unique show in the context of Australia uh, and... You know hopefully it it has a broad enough appeal that people in other parts of the world will love it as well um When did you guys decide to
2: create late night films? I think we basically so late night films basically started when we did our first short film at uni so for Happy Sundays, we all had a little production meeting down at I don't know probably about two a m in the swinburne university p a building and mm tried to come up with names because we wanted to put a logo on the start of the film and that was basically where we came out with late night eloise loxton came out with that
0: yeah i remember there were a ton of i can't even remember them but there were some really bad names bad names i remember a whiteboard full of bad names and i think it, we came to late night films because it was really bloody late when we were and we were when we were working on that film we were pretty much the only team that was there at 2 3 a.m. in the morning, most Mm. nights we used to switch the lights off when security came past because you could only stay for a certain amount of time. And so we'd like pretend that we weren't there, security would come past, and then when they left, we would just keep working. (laughs) And then just basically, when you couldn't once you got out the building, you couldn't get back in. So we would order pizza, and then somebody would stand at the door and have to do like a quick snatch to Mm. grab the pizza and then run back
1: in. That's that's where it came from. I remember you telling me just speaking on uh, Happy Sundays. Wasn't there a... Um, there was a funny incident that happened while you were filming that, wasn't there?
0: Funny. Frightening. Uh, yep. It was pretty full on. Um, we were filming on the streets of Williamstown at, in the wee hours of the morning. It was probably, what, 3am, 4am? Yeah, like uh, and the whole film is short. is set in a, an ice cream shop. Mm. And so we had one scene, which is the very end of the, the film which is out on the road. And we were in uni, so we didn't have any permits, we didn't have any insurance, we didn't have anything. We had, I guess, whatever we were covered by the uni for. And uh, we were shooting outside, we are shooting on film, so we only had so much film to shoot. And the lights kept blowing the breaker inside the ice cream shop. So we would get halfway into a take and the lights would go out. So mm-hmm. we we're having a really frustrating time. And then... Right when we were running out of film, we heard this guy yelling from down the street and he was just yelling some inaudible sort of mumble. And so I said, let's turn the lights off and just pretend we're not here and he'll ho- he's drunk, he'll hopefully go the other way. He saw us. And so he started coming towards us and he, he was kind of hunched over and uh, had a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And he just kept saying, oh, fuck, I'm going to fucking kill her. I'm, I'm going to kill her. And we were like, oh, hey, mate, are you all right? <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to kill my wife. We were like, oh, oh right. Yeah, okay. Um, and then he just kept asking for a light, for someone to light his cigarette. And one of the guys that we used to work with grabbed out some matches uh, and went to light this guy's cigarette. And when he put the flame to the cigarette, the guy stood up and he was holding a knife and his arms were caked in blood. And so we were flipping out. The um, Eloise was freaking out. And anyway, so he kind of was loosely holding the knife, maybe maybe about 10 or 20 centimeters away from Isaac's stomach. He was just like really, he was clearly on something. He was just sort of loosely holding the knife. Anyway, so he said, yeah, thanks, mate, and then kept walking on down the street and then turned back and started hacking at his arms in the middle of the street and then collapsed. And this is the worst thing that I have ever thought as a human being. And I regret it, and I'm sorry about it, and I feel awful. But one of the actors, Mike, who's a a longtime friend of mine, Went to run into the ice cream shop and I went, whoa, 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 what are you doing? And he went, what do you mean what I'm doing? I'm calling the cops, I'm calling an ambo. And I said, oh, we don't have a permit though. <laughs> and Mike just looked at me which, because we had like one shot left and my brain was just like, oh, if we, if we have to pack up now, anyway, he obviously called the cops because I'm an idiot. um, Ultimate filmmaker. Anyway, the guy ended up getting up and like struggling down the street, and took like eight comps to get him down. Mm. And then the police sort of started walking down to us, and I thought, yeah, here we go, we're done. And uh, they just walked up and went, "Are you, uh, you the guys that called uh, called us in?" We're like, "Yep, yeah, yeah, we were." Sorry, he just sort of came past, and and we had like, keep in mind, we had gear all over the road, Mm. and they just looked around and went. Yeah, cheers for that. What are you blokes doing? Are you making some sort of film, are you? Oh, yeah? What's it about? And then we told them, we went, oh, good. Well, good luck to you guys. Uh, he's off to the nut house, so uh, have a good one. Just walked off. So there you go, kids. You don't need permits, it turns out. No.
1: Ever. All's well that ends well. <laughs> and you got a production company out of it.
0: That is how it evolved. Yeah. Yeah. After that guy, I was like, hocking, we might die soon. We should probably make a production company.
1: Mm. And you already had a name.
0: We did. We already had a name.
1: Yeah. All you needed was liability insurance. That's
0: exactly right. I gotta say about names though, if there's any sort of like filmmakers listening that are thinking about choosing their names, maybe think about, you know, whether it may or may not sound like a porn company. Because we've had people in the past send us their porn reels. So, yep, just maybe think about that. If it's any sort of late night mm. or like film couch or casting couch, just just think about it. I maybe. mean, anyone
1: who's going to make a company called Casting Couch Films probably <laughs> want, wanting those videos. That is true. That is very, very true. Um, so... Where do you guys what's your kind of trajectory, I suppose from here are you, is is the plan to just keep evolving incrementally as you have been over the last few years, or do you see a bigger kind of picture evolving?
2: I think next year we'll do Star Wars episode, <laughs> whatever <laughs> mm. and then um yeah go from there basically that's so the
0: Hawking's dream is all everything is working towards one day being a production company on a Star Wars film, so that seems to be what everything's feeding into mm. I think we just want to keep trying to be able to make stuff that we really love, uh, find a platform to show it, or that people that are willing to fund it. And then we we're talking about this the other day because we're we're working on a kid series at the moment with the ABC. That's that's quite a big show, um, and it's you know something that you know it's the next level up for us. Mm. And so it's, you know, looking about how we can still keep that sort of energetic, independent approach to how we make things whilst the sort of the budget and I guess the risk increases incrementally. Um, so, yeah, we just want to try and keep how we've always worked at the heart of it mm. whilst getting bigger because, um, and, you know, we, we know that we're going to have to let go of some things and the way we work, but... Um, but yeah, just looking to do bigger and better things, and continuously learning, and just making shit with lots of explosions and puppets. I guess.
1: Do you guys feel like you've already created a successful company and 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 are, um, having success, or is it something? Is it a more? Uh, is it is it a less attainable kind of thing, or how 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 will you guys define that?
2: I guess for us. It's not about the business side of things. We don't care about profits. We don't care about. We just want to make cool shit. Mm. Like the business side of it's sort of just something we need to deal with. We're way more interested in making cool stuff than worrying about. I don't know any other aspect of the thing. It's all about the content and all about making stuff that we want to watch. Um. So yeah, I guess for us, I mean, we want to keep making cool shit in Australia. We don't want to go over to LA and join Hollywood. We want to do what Peter Jackson did and build our own little empire here. Mm. And it's not building an empire for the sake of building something that earns a lot of money. It's for building an empire. Cause we want to make the shit that Peter Jackson makes. We want to make big Epic stuff that has an international audience. Mm. Um, but still doing it with all our friends. Like we don't want to like hire a bunch of expensive people from overseas. We want all our mates to be working on the cool shit with us. So yeah, mm. that's sort of our plan and goal.
1: Do you feel as though with something like Wizards, I mean, if you did cast your mind back 10 years and um, were speaking to 21 and 19-year-old versions of Chris and Nick, what do you think they would say if if you sat them down and showed them Wizards of Oz and said this will be on national television in 10 years' time and you guys will have made that?
2: Uh, Chris would have been a jerk and just given me a whole bunch of notes of things we need to <laughs> fix up and change. And Nick would have probably been like, What
0: the fuck are you guys smoking? You guys have have you guys taken loads of drugs? Um, I don't know. I think um I would be very like I am now, really proud. Like after we finished Wizards and we had our, our screening, um, it was at the end of the year no, it was this sorry at the start of twenty sixteen. And uh I said to Chris, This is really cool, what we've built and i just remember thinking we're in our office we've got all these bizarre props we have just spent a, a year working on a really bizarre cool show where we had amazing makeup and actors involved and and puppets and cg effects and um and then we've got all of these other shows that we're kind of... People are suddenly interested in the work that we're doing. Mm. And this all stemmed from us being in a Swinburne computer lab together, ordering shitty pizza from Chapel Street and, you know, hiding from security guards. It's just a pretty bizarre thing, I guess, to compute. But I don't think that... All of this was down to Chris and I. I think what I'm more proud of is that we've built a community of people that we really love Mm. who are incredibly talented and just as scared as we are (laughs) of um, doing stuff that's getting bigger and bigger but who aren't just incredibly talented people. They're just really cool people that we love um, a lot and that we've now not only built a working relationship with but a personal relationship with. And these are people that, like Chris said, you know, when Peter Jackson started out, you read his biography, all of the people that work for Wedder now are all the people that were working on um, Bad Taste and all those sort of early films. So we kind of want to want to do a similar thing. We just want to keep growing with the people that supported us in the beginning.
1: That's really, it's a really awesome thing to do and I really hope you guys continue to give me one-line parts in each of your films. Yeah, <laughs> no it's, it's
0: a prerequisite in your contract now uh, yeah. that... <laughs> Minimum one line
1: now, Marks. <laughs> and it has to be a very iconic line <laughs> so that Chris can quote it for the next <laughs> yeah. 10 years. Um, thank you so much, guys, for taking time out of your schedule to sit down and ramble with me in uh, the conversation with one question. Same one question for the end of every conversation. And that question is, what makes you silly?
2: Mm, roller coasters. I love roller coasters. Oh yeah? What's the best roller coaster you've been on? We went together, me, Nick, Jared De Paris, and a bunch of other people. Um we went to Six Flags mm. in LA and that was awesome. It was just fun just running around between roller coasters. Mm. Yeah.
0: We actually went with your good friend Damer, who went on one roller coaster and then refused to go on any more <laughs> roller coasters.
1: Well, he paid a good entry fee then.
0: I've never seen anybody look legitimately green, and he was actually green. He had to sit down on a park bench for ages.
1: Yeah, right. Well, that's what he gets for not going with me. <laughs> he was meant to go with me. To I know five, he was. That bastard. And what makes you silly?
0: What makes me silly? Um, what makes me silly? See, the worst part about this Is is that I had time to think about this. Both before we did this podcast and also during Chris's response. Mm.
2: And Chris was very quick with his response. He was, wasn't he? He knew.
0: I had preloaded. Yeah.
2: Well, I didn't know I was going to do the podcast until this morning, but yeah. So you've been thinking on the way over in the car? I am
0: buying more time, by the way. Yeah. Music makes me silly, actually. I love uh, music so much and it fills me with so much joy. And I have the world's worst singing voice. So (laughs) when I am in a car listening to a song and singing and I turn the music down and hear my own voice, I am both horrified and filled with joy at the same time. So music makes me incredibly silly because, um, yeah, it gets me doing stuff that I'm not particularly good at, but I embrace it.
1: What was the last song you caught yourself singing?
0: Do you know what? My partner and I have a song that um, just every time we're in the car together, it comes on. And it's actually When we were driving home From your New Year's party A few years back Mm. We were like What's a dumb shitty song That we can sing along to That's hilarious And it was Savage Gardens Cannonball Is that the song The name of the song It's a terrible song Yeah yeah, I know the one Yeah it's awful Um, And So so we bought it On iTunes Because we're not pirates (laughs) Chris Um, And that made me sound like You pirate stuff You don't You're the opposite Um, That's what I assumed (laughs) yeah, <laughs> he's the opposite of a pirate, you'd look terrible in an eye patch. So that's now on my iPod, iPod or iPhone, full time And every time she gets into the car, it seems to come on So mm. that was probably the last song that I sung, a Savage Garden song
1: mm. When superstars and...
0: Cannonballs are running through your head Oh mm. dear, it is just awful
1: <laughs> Well... We'll have to do karaoke sometime so that you can yes. uh, you can sing that. I will definitely
0: do that. I'll be up for that.
1: Thank you so much, boys. Where can uh, people out there in the world find your stuff if they're intrigued and they want to check out Happy Sundays um, or Wizards of Oz or anything else that you guys have made?
0: LateNightFilms.com, our website. And Chris is also a social media whore. So um, uh, we've got our Twitter and Facebook seems to be ticking over. Almost uh, by the minute. So, twitter.com slash late night films and facebook.com slash late night films.
1: And night is spelt N-I-T-E.
0: Yeah, that was also another mistake. Mm. Think about your names, guys. Really, please do. It'll cause you so
1: much less pain in the future. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, bye.